Uh, thank you. you. May be seated. Thanks, guys. Oh boy, there's only a few times in life I find myself speechless, but that's one of those times. Um, I am so thankful for our youth, for Brother Trey putting that together for us. Thank you so much uh, for the worship set. It's all just been about Jesus, and that's what the whole story is about. And we are so grateful. I know there's a zillion churches you could attend today, but you came and worshiped here. And already you've got enough. We could, we could say a prayer and go home and put a bow on it and eat lunch, and it'd be enough. But I just want to share just a little bit more. And I, I was telling Judy, um, Trey wouldn't even let me know what the skit was about. He said, I really want you to be surprised. And, uh, and I said, now listen, you're going to put this right for the message. Do you think it will work? I think so. And, you know, I think so. But anyway, so, so you know, it's just, it's just amazing how God tied all of this together. Well, I searched for, you know, every Easter, you know, I was telling Sarah, my daughter, this morning, we were talking about Easter and Christmas, but mainly Easter, about how, you know, it's, it's a great and grand story, but every year we tell that story. Every day we tell that story. Every month we tell that story. Every Sunday we tell that story. And how do you get it fresh? And then, and then I said, well, I'll come up with this unusual title. Those are two words. Really, those two words, you don't even usually associate with God, much less Easter, but mystical and magical Easter. Mystical and magical Easter. It, and and I, wish, I wish I'd just put mystical, magical Jesus because it's all, it's all about him. So what do these two words mean? Well, you know, mystical means inspiring a sense of spiritual mystery or awe or fascination. And again, I found myself searching for words. I consider myself a word crafter, but I, I, self, I found myself searching for these words. And I thought about the most beautiful sunset that I've seen or perhaps that you've seen and think about the mystery and the awe and fascination of that. I, I thought about the time when, when our firstborn was born and um, how amazing, you know, they get, you know, it gets kind of routine after a while. Um, but but the firstborn, the first time, oh my goodness, you see that little baby and you realize that you and your wife, you know, created that, your husband created that. And it's just amazing and miracle. It's, it's really mystical. It's mystical. And then I thought about this word magical, extremely or extraordinarily exciting. You know, extremely or extraordinarily exciting. And, and you think about a magical night. Maybe the night that you, you know, he proposed to her or you proposed to, to her, you know, and it's just a magical and, and wonderful evening. Those are words, but yet they still come up short. You see, this story, this story is so big, it can't be told in 26 letters. Someone needs to come up with a new alphabet. I, I did research one time, and there's the largest, largest alphabet in some language, and somewhere off in another part of the world, had 33 letters. And I said, even that is not enough. 26 letters to try to describe the grandest and greatest story there is. You know, a story that actually began, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world was laid. Before there was a human being, and before there was a failure of that human being, this triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had this, this powwow, this meeting in heaven. And they determined, and God in His foreknowledge knew that He was going to create His creation man. And He had to give them free will because He wanted them to choose or reject Him freely. And so they knew that, and so he knew they were going to fall, and he planned the plan of redemption 
before the foundation of the world was laid. And sure enough, in Genesis chapter 3, you know, Adam and Eve are there. They, they make the willful choice to disobey God. And that need for a redeemer. And in Genesis chapter 3, the promise was made. God made a promise that one day, looking at Satan, he said, let me tell you something. There will come a day and you will bruise, bruise his heel. Okay, and talking about the cross. He said, but he's going to wound your head. In other words, Jesus Christ would ultimately be victorious. And through all the promises and all the prophecies and through thousands and thousands of years, the world waited. The world waited. And it's such a big plan. We had to wait. But there's such a big plan. How do you even describe it? And then Christmas came. Christmas came. God became flesh. How do you describe that? That, that, that God, the Son, leaves heaven in all this wonder and splendor and come down in, in flesh and becomes a little baby. He chooses a poor peasant girl, maybe 14, 15, or 16 years, and invites her to be the mother of this Savior of the world. How do you even put pen and pencil and words to that? How do you describe the first Christmas morning where the king of the world is born in a, in a stable, in a feeding trough, and they invite the lowly of the low, the shepherds, to come and celebrate? How do you put a description to that? How do you put a description to a life perfectly lived? A life without sin. A life when everyone else in the whole world is messing up, and this man Jesus did not. How do you describe a man who, who is not afraid to touch a leper who they called walking death and heal that person? A, a person who is not afraid, a man who is not afraid to, to forgive an adulterous woman and says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. How do you put a description on that? How do you put a description on a man who could raise a man named Lazarus from the dead? How do you describe? And then how do you describe what started on a Friday? Actually, a Thursday night when he was in the upper room with his, with his men and, and he washes their feet. The king of the universe washes the feet. He washes the feet of the man who soon will turn him over to the authorities to be crucified. He washes the feet of the man who in just a few minutes will say, I tell you, I don't know the man. And yet he washes their feet. How do you describe a man like that? A man who goes to the garden and he falls down on his face and, and he begins to pray to his Father in heaven. And he, and he prays and says, Oh, Father, if there's any way, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, if there's any way that I don't have to go to the cross, if there's any way I don't have to become sin, then let it pass. How do you describe a man, though, knowing all the details of that and still says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. How do you describe a man, then, who waits and is willingly drugged before the, the high council where they abuse him and then is turned over to the Roman government? And, and even though Pilate declares and says, I'm telling you, I find no fault in the man. And yet the crowd convinces him, you're no friend of Caesar if you don't kill this man. And so Pilate turns him over to be crucified. How do you describe a man that endures a scourging 
with a lead-tipped whip that rips away the flesh on his back. How do you describe a man who does that willingly, who does that because he loved people like me and you? How do you describe a man who carries a cross up to the top of a hill, lays his arms out as the Roman soldiers drive spikes, nails through his wrists, and then drive spikes and nails through his feet, and he does it willingly. How do you really describe? What words would you use to describe that kind of love? And then he's lifted up for all to see and all to mock. How do you describe? that. And then at three o'clock in the morning on this Friday, at three o'clock, I'm sorry, in the afternoon, God does something. He's been working. You all know work is noisy, whether it be a jackhammer or whether it be some kind of large equipment running. When you're around a construction site, when people are working, there's noise. And God was very noisy on Friday. It began at three o'clock in the afternoon. Where he turns the lights out. What is about to happen has never happened before. That the sins of the entire world, every human being ever born, live today, or ever will be born, all that sin was placed on Jesus. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 that he became that sin. And God in his mercy and God in his holiness blocks the sun. He turns out the lights. And there in the darkness, his son, the son of heaven, is being sacrificed. And he cries out and goes, Eli! Eli! Eli Sabachthani! My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? And then he says one more thing. He says, it is finished. To tell us die is the Greek word. It means when an artist puts the final brush stroke on a painting. Or a sculptor knocks the final piece of marble off the sculptor. It is done. It is finished. Then the Bible says something amazing. The Bible says he laid his life down. You know, I was talking with my with my grandson, and he was talking about how that how that you know Hitler didn't like the Jews because you know the Jews killed Jesus, and the Jews didn't kill Jesus. And in fact, the Romans didn't kill Jesus. Oh, they crucified him. But the Bible very clearly says that Jesus laid his life. He yielded his spirit. I love one place in John where it says, you know, I had the power to lay my life down and I had the power to take my life up again. Powerful. How do you describe that? So he yields his life. And then God gets busy again. And, and up our slide says, you know, he tore the curtains in the temple. The curtain is talking about was here was the Holy of Holies, a place of the presence of God where only the high priest could come one time a year and there to confess his sins and the sins of the nation of Israel. And over here was the holy place, but this was the Holy of Holies. And it was separated by a, by a 
curtain uh, that was a veil that was approximately six inches thick, made of animal hair, probably 20 feet tall. And when Jesus cried out and said, To tell us, die, it is finished, it is done, the work is done, the Bible says that from top to bottom, not bottom to top, from top to bottom, God reaches down from heaven and tears open that veil, that curtain. And in that moment, with the telestai still ringing through the air, it is finished. God hangs out the welcome sign that every person who will put their faith and trust in Christ and what just happened on the cross and in His resurrection, every person could come to relationship with God. Not through religion, not through church, not through a giant scale, not through keeping rules, but by faith and believing in Jesus Christ. And then, the Bible says that there was a giant earthquake. And the Bible says something amazing about that earthquake. It's so strong, but it says all the rocks... Were rent. All the rocks were flawed. All the rocks were cracked. You know, scientist wrestles with the idea and says, so, so how is it that there was a sea in the middle of the desert? Well, we know. <laughs> because one day God flooded the entire world. There were seas everywhere. And they tell me that, again, scientists prove that these rocks are flawed. And maybe, just maybe, the reason they're flawed It's because of a Friday afternoon when God so shook the world when his son died that the rocks were flawed. How do you describe that? And then the Bible says that that graves were open and people got up, especially after his resurrection, people got up to testify about what God had done. Oh, listen, oh, Friday was busy. Friday was noisy and it was busy because God was doing a great work. Well, he died a little after three on Friday afternoon. And they had to get him off the cross because it wasn't proper for a Jewish man to hang on the cross when Sabbath started at sundown at about six. So a guy named Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus went to, went to Pilate and begged the body and said, Look, I know this is unusual. Jews don't usually do this, you know, ask you anything. He said, But listen, we would like to ask you, can we have the body of Jesus? And Pilate ascertained, now listen carefully, Pilate ascertained that he was dead. He wasn't unconscious. He wasn't in a swoon. Uh, he wasn't just in bad shape. He was dead. Romans were good at what they did. And Pilate grants the body. And they take him and they put him in a tomb, Joseph's tomb as a matter of fact, a borrowed tomb. And they took with them 75 pounds, him and Nicodemus, 75 pounds of spices. And then right before sunset, before it needed to be done, um, it in fact was done. And then came Saturday. Saturday. A day of silent rest. The work of the cross was done. The body was dead. Now, his soul and spirit, and there's much speculation about what was going on behind the scenes on Saturday, what the soul and spirit of Jesus was doing, but the bottom line was his tomb was filled with a dead body. And Saturday was that day of silent rest. The day between the question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer 
which is the resurrection. What did he do? Really the same thing we need to do. We need sometimes just lie still. The Bible says in Psalm 46.10, and it says, you know, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we need to be still. Sometimes we need to stay silent. Sometimes we need to trust God. Are you there today? Are you in a station in your life where right now you need to lie still? Are you in a station in your life when perhaps you need to stay silent? Perhaps you're in a station where you need to trust God? I was thinking, I said, you know what? The bottom line is all of us experience Saturdays. All of us experience times when we're worn out and worn down. And we're waiting on God to do something. Does that ring a bell with you today? Are you waiting on God? But then I figured out, you know what? Really, from the time we trust Christ, our life is just one continuous Saturday. As we wait for Sunday, heaven with Jesus. Saturday. Lie still. Stay silent. And wait. And then... It was Sunday. And then it was Sunday. The tomb is empty, but really no one knows that. These people had had sold out to Jesus. He was the Messiah. He was going to be the king. They were going to be the princes. They believed in him. They put their trust in him. And he's dead. They were discouraged. They were defeated. And they were afraid. Because what Rome did to one, Rome could do it to another. They feared it was just a matter of time before word got out that they would have been Jesus, followers of this Messiah, followers of Jesus. It was just a matter of time before Rome was going to take them. And what they did to Jesus, they were going to do to them. They were afraid. But what they didn't know was the tomb was empty. They didn't know... That death had been defeated. That death had been defeated. Luke 24, 1 starts the picture of the big picture. It's the first strokes of the canvas of the bigger picture. You see, hope had come. Hope had come very early on Sunday morning. It's probably still dark. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Why did they take spices for? I mean, hadn't the men already carried 75 pounds of spices to prepare the body of Jesus for the long sleep of death? They knew what you know. Men can't get nothing right. So they figured the guys just didn't do it. They may have had the material, but that does not mean they did it right. And so they take their spices and they go to prepare the body of Jesus. Madeline Lingle said this. Easter is always the answer to my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Easter is always the answer. It's always the answer. To why Jesus died the way that he did. So Saturday came. We decided to lay still. And they decided to wait. So very early in the morning. 
the women went. And they went to prepare the body. Because listen carefully. No one, no one was expecting a resurrection. No one. They, Joseph of Arimathea prepared, you know, prepared the body because the body was dead. The body was going to stay. The women came to prepare that morning because the body was dead and the body was going to stay. No one was expecting a resurrection. The impossible seemed exactly that. Impossible. These women loved Jesus and wanted to make sure his body was properly prepared for the long sleep of death. It was the end. Game over. Nice try, Jesus. We'll keep on dealing with the problems of life now that you're gone. Well, when they got to verse 2, we get to verse 2 and 3. The Bible says they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. (laughs) I can hear them now. Those silly men, they didn't even shut the door. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And why was that? Why did God make sure the stone was rolled away? Well, Peter Marshall makes it clear. The stone was rolled away from the door not to permit Christ to come out. But so the witnesses, the ladies, the disciples could go in. And go in is exactly what they did. Verse 4. As they stood there in the tomb, as they stood there, they were puzzled. They, the, literally, the Greek word means, you know, not sure which way to turn. I, I, perhaps they were thinking, perhaps they were thinking that, you know, maybe we got the wrong address. You know, Mary, did you put the right address in the GPS? Because the tomb... The tomb we're looking for would have had the stone rolled, and we're wondering who's going to roll the stone away. And the tomb we're looking for had the body of the one we love, and this had neither a stone in front of the door, nor does it have a body. So they were puzzled. And then suddenly two men appeared to them, and they were clothed in dazzling robes. And in the Greek, that latterly means brilliant light. So either they were reflecting light from heaven or they were generating the light from heaven. So so they saw this and the men asked an important question in verse number five, the second part. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? I love that word looking. It means locate. Why are you trying to to locate a living person amongst dead people? Why are you trying to locate someone who's alive in the cemetery? Don't you know, he said, he isn't here. He is risen. He is risen. Our teaching point says this. These words were unbelievable and undeniable. I mean, come on. Again, how you describe a man who dies on a Roman cross? Not just dies, but dies at the hands of experts with a body mutilated. And then you hear two angels say, oh, why are you looking for a dead man among, you know, a living man among the dead? Hey, he's not here. He's risen. He is alive. The words were unbelievable, but undeniable. The evidence was screaming out, wait, this is something bigger than we thought. And the echoing in the tomb was, oh, these were words of Paul. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your strength? For the first time, there's hope. 
For the first time, when a, when a wife says goodbye to a husband, there's hope. For the first time, when a mother says goodbye or a father says goodbye to a child, there is hope. For the first time, and with, with broken hearts and broken lives, there's hope. And for the first time, men and women who were separated from God can be brought together. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory. Well, in verse 6b, the angels say, I'm on, we're going to help you out here, Mary, Mary, and, and Salome, and, and Joanna. Remember what he, Jesus, told you back in Galilee. And that word remember, write this down. That word remember is not like remembering. <laughs> I was at the doctor's. This getting old thing's going to be fun. I already figured it out. Yeah, so so we're sitting there, you know, I've got to go to the eye doctor, you know, and so we're checking out and they're wanting the copay thing, you know. And she'd already said, now how about April 11th of, of next year? Would that be good? I said, that'd be great. So I'm saying there, I said, um, could you give me a, a reminder? She goes, I just did. It's in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't wait. I'll wake up next to G one day and go, and who are you? <laughs> Who are you? Well, you know, he, when this word remember, it doesn't mean just remember. It, it connects this idea, remember and understand. Because, you know, you know they, were, they had told, Jesus had told them, look, here's what's going to happen. My plan is not your plan. You know, we're going to, to Jerusalem. I'm going to be turned over to the authorities. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to come back to life on the third day. And so he, the, the angels are saying, wait, 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 wait. You've got to, you've got to get the idea. Put these two pieces together. I want you to understand. Remember what he said in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, but on the third day he would rise again. I, I've told this story so many times. Why didn't, they, why, why didn't they get that? And the answer is why they didn't get that was is because once this guy that they put all their, you know, all their eggs, eggs in a basket, when, once they put everything in them and he said he's going to be crucified, they stopped listening. May I make a suggestion? Just perhaps we stop listening too soon with God. He's probably got some more information for us. If we'll just wait and listen. He says, remember, remember that he said he was going to rise again. Well, so our teaching point says this. Three times, Jesus told the disciples that God's plan and their plan was not the same. And by the way, the kind of pause there. It's true, you need to hear that. Some of you are going through something right now in your life, and you're saying, this was not my plan, and I just don't think it's God's plan either. Trust Him. Trust Him. God's plan their plan was not the same. It wasn't a crown and a throne. It was a cross, a tomb, and then a resurrection. Well, after it said this, verse number 8, you know, then the Bible says that the, that the ladies remembered. They, they put one plus one and got two. They had two pieces of the puzzle and they put them together. They, they, they heard the story and all of a sudden the story made sense. They remembered that he had said this. And when they did, when the light came on, when the puzzle went together, the Bible says they left the tomb. They ran out of the tomb immediately, and they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples. There were 11 guys over here who really needed to hear this information. They had sold everything to follow Jesus, and they needed information like this. But that wasn't all, is it? They told, tell his disciples and everyone else. 
This was big news. Lots of guys were crucified. But only one was crucified and came back to life three days later. This is really big news. And they, they were not only going to tell the eleven, everybody they saw, they said, hey, you need to know this. See, see, the idea is not that we celebrate this one time a year. It's, the big news is we celebrate this every Sunday. Back in the early church days, they didn't really celebrate the cross. They didn't see the big picture of the cross. They, now we're grateful because we know the cross represents our salvation, all of that. But they didn't. But I'll tell you what, the big news was, hey, did you hear about the guy they crucified and he came back to life? That's an intention getter. That'll get you a crowd. At Pentecost, in, in you know, Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost was telling the story, he started talking about the resurrection. They said, what? We've never heard anything like this. This is, this is new. So he started telling everybody. So, so you got to be sitting on the edge of your seat and going, and how's this one going to end? I can see it now. I can see it now. The women run in. They're all excited. Boys, boys, I've got big news. What's the big news? He's alive. Did you eat some bad pizza? You know the story. You... Ladies, you were there. You watched him hanging on a cross. You, you heard him cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you heard him cry out, To tell us die, it is finished. And you watched him draw his last breath. You saw the mutilated body. You know that Joseph and Nicodemus took him to the tomb and prepared his body. In fact, fact rumor was you've been there already. Really? Yeah, that's what happened. The Bible says in that next verse, it says, but the story sounded like nonsense. Now, these aren't ordinary men. These aren't guys that that were occasional Jesus followers. These are the guys who followed him for three years. These are the guys who, who saw the miracles. These are the guys who saw Lazarus come hopping out of the grave. These were the guys. But the evidence was overwhelming. The consequences were horrible. And that evidence and those consequences made it sound like nonsense to the men. And guess what? They didn't believe. Well, I didn't have room for the verse in this sermon. But verse number 12 does say that Peter did run out of the room, ran to the tomb, got there and found it empty. But he just, instead of going, Woohoo, boy, look, it's verified. The Bible says he was just as perplexed as if he'd never heard the news. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're listening on Facebook. Maybe you're on the radio. Maybe you're going to be listening to this in a couple, three weeks after all this is gone. And you've, you've heard this story before. And, and maybe, just maybe, in this cynical society that we live in, okay, maybe the story that I told you today sounds like nonsense. But can I make a suggestion? Don't be afraid to believe. I I know, I know, I know. God went out of vogue. God's not cool. God doesn't exist. God's something that we thought up to make ourselves feel better about death and eternity. I know all of that. Don't be afraid to believe. Don't be so quick to believe everything you hear. I mean, I'm preaching from a book 
that's been around for 4,000 years. It's a book like no other book. I mean, it wasn't printed yesterday. And unlike software that gets updated every annual, annually, this one's never been updated. The story's the same. From flaps to maps, God loves you. Jesus died for you. He resurrected. And if you'll put your faith and trust in him, you can go to heaven. Just like that. Message hasn't changed. Message hasn't changed. So our invitation today is, you know, it may seem like nonsense. But maybe it's not. I know, I know. Paul wrote to a to church in Corinth. Now, you probably don't know too much about Corinth. Um, but Corinth was a, a um, very liberal, godless society. And, and Paul started a church there. And he had spent a lot of time writing because they had some really issues because of the culture. Here's what he wrote one time to them. He said, for the word of the cross, and that word of the cross, you know, is the death, it's the burial, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the whole thing. The word of the cross is folly. It's a joke. It's nonsense to those who are perishing. But he says, let me tell you something. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. There's a bunch of people. You've got, you've got to know somebody that loves Jesus and that you trust. I know you don't know me. You know, I'm the guy who stands up here and hollers every Sunday. But you know somebody. And that somebody believes this story. Why not sit down and talk with them? Why not say, tell me how you came to believe that this story um, is true? How did you reach a point where... You understood that this story was the, the power of God to make people, allow people to be in relationship with him and go to heaven. What a powerful, powerful thought. So, Pilate, when he was, had Jesus before him and the crowd was hollering, Crucify him, crucify him. Why crucify your king? What do you want me to do? He'd already said, I find no fault. What do you want me to do? <laughs> and he goes, what? They hollered, crucify. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Christ? Now, that's written in first person for him. But that's the question every one of us have got to answer. What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? See, that's the most important question. I promise you, it does not depend on what church you go to. I promise you, it does not depend on if you're a Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, or whatever else there is. I promise you, it has nothing to do with how much money you give, or if you keep the rules or you don't keep the rules. It, your eternal, eternal destiny depends on what you do with Jesus. That's it. Don't you let any preacher stand there and tell you, if you'll send money, or if you'll do this or that, it's a lie. Bible is very clear. Eternity is about Jesus and what you do with him. You accept him or reject him. And today we want to give you the chance. You know, every person here is going to make or will make or has made a decision. If we don't act on what you've heard today, then that's a decision to reject. If you decide, you know what, for the first time this makes a little bit of sense to me, then that's an action to accept. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front in just a minute. And we would love to share with you and help you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you don't have to do it here. 
um, after, you know, we're serving a meal, we can talk to you then. Or call us at the office and we'll come back to your house and share with you. I'm telling you, this is worth your consideration. If you're watching on Facebook, if you're on the radio this morning, this is worth your consideration. Because eternity is determined by what you do with this question. What shall I do with Jesus? Evan Escar said, you know, um, Easter is the one time that it's totally safe to put all your eggs in one basket. This is one time it's totally safe to put all your eggs in one basket. This is one time you can believe it because it's true. He loves you. He died for you. They buried him. He resurrected. He lives today and ask to be the Lord of your life. I hope you'll say yes. Let's bow our heads, please. There's an old song that Judy and I know because it was in a cantata one time. And it was a solo. I can tell you the lady who sang it, Cynthia Bainey. She said, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. For one day, your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? What will he do with me? Brent waits if we can answer your questions. The altar's open. If you want to come pray today, uh, anything we can do to help you on this Easter Sunday is what we want to do. So, Father, thank you so much for allowing me to share these truths. Father, it's beyond words. It's beyond words. The wonderful, majestic, mystical, magical story of redemption. Thank you for that. I pray you'll speak to hearts and hearts will respond. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name.